Today on Blue 58, surprise, surprise, the Packers are going to have a new defensive coordinator in 2024. Who's it going to be and how did we get here? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Boy, if you were out there calling for your pound of flesh, you've got to be feeling pretty good right about now. Not only did you get Joe Barry... But another unpopular figure in the Green Bay Packers organization, strength and conditioning coach Chris Gizzi, is gone to be replaced by we don't know who. But if you have been monitoring the soft tissue issues the Packers have had over the past few seasons, perhaps Gizzi's departure is of good news to you. I suspect that we're still going to see our fair number of these kinds of injuries because that's just kind of the way things go. But what I do like to see is something different. At least try something different. Then the Packers are at least doing that. And hopefully they will be doing that with Joe Barry here. So Barry gets fired. Color me surprised. The news drops Wednesday morning about six hours after I published the podcast episode speculating that he would stay. Such is life. And I'm very happy to be wrong. A lot of that going around. We'll get to that in a little bit. But if you're going to be wrong, be wrong in that direction, I guess. Like, under-predict. And, boy, the Packers have delivered here. But truly, in all honesty, I did not think Matt LaFleur was going to pull the trigger on this one. Because, organizationally, the Packers have just trended towards guys that are a little bit slow to make this kind of move. We all know about Mike McCarthy and how long he stuck with Dom Capers. Mike Pettin got the full three years and then wandered off to do whatever it is he was going to do. And now Joe Barry apparently had a contract extension at some point here during his tenure, but now gets the axe after, I think, several overall disappointing seasons. That's not to say that there weren't some bright spots in there. There were a couple games where the Packers' defense was absolutely lights out, including at least one playoff game where the defense surely was not to blame. However, there were plenty of warts in there too. And perhaps we look back in a couple of years with clearer eyes on the strength and weaknesses of the Joe Barry era. Probably not. I know how sports discords go. We'll, we'll not give Barry his credit for the whatever good things there were that he did. It's just going to be solidified that he was a bad coordinator and a waste of time. But the Packers at least are going in a different direction and trying something new. Or are they? That is really the big question right now. Because, at least according to Rob Domofsky of ESPN, Barry reportedly is in consideration for some kind of position in Green Bay still. What that looks like, what position that would be, is still up in the air. You can think of a couple of different ways this could go. Some sort of position coach sort of role, some sort of, you know, defensive analyst sort of role, that that old guy who just sticks around because he's known a bunch about football for his, well, he's studied football for basically his entire life and he's just there to offer up ideas. You see that happen with a lot of old defensive coordinators. Barry now a three-time failed defensive coordinator, but surely a guy with some knowledge of the game. And, you know, as an aside... I think there's a lot of animus toward Joe Barry, and I just want to throw this out there because maybe memorializing a guy who's uh, getting drummed out of his job, but Joe Barry seems like two things. First, like an overall good guy. He seems like a high-character individual. 
seems like he's well liked in the building and has been well liked everywhere he's been in Detroit that he was the head coach's son-in-law so you'd hope they like him in the building but in Washington it seems like everybody liked him or liked being around him secondly he seems like the sort of guy that regardless of how good of a coach he actually was he would be a cool guy to sit down with at some point and say Joe, tell me some crazy stories about coaching in the league. And it, it seems like he would probably have a bunch of them because he worked in a bunch of different organizations. He's seen a lot of different things. He's been to the mountaintop, a Super Bowl winning coach. Don't forget, he's got a Super Bowl ring from his time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But he's seen a lot of different stuff. You could probably get some good stories out of Joe Barry. But it is a problem if he stays on in Green Bay for a couple of reasons. First, it sends a message right now that the next defensive coordinator may not be able to pick their own staff. And that's a problem in Green Bay because this staff is getting to be pretty weird because there hasn't been a lot of turnover on the defensive staff despite some turnover at defensive coordinator. Currently on staff, there are coaches that have been hired under Joe Barry, coaches that were hired under Mike Pettin, and even in the case of Jerry Montgomery, a coach that was hired under Dom Capers. Add into that the former defensive coordinator staying on on staff, and you have to ask, are we really going to get that much of a new-look defense? Are we going to get a new defensive culture if you've just got all these same guys sticking around? The secondly, second thing that, you know, that brings up is just the idea of not having a clean break, regardless of who's picking the staff. The problem of carryover from Capers to Petten to Barry is a bit of a problem for me because at a certain point, you, you've got to tear it all the way down. If not now, when? Why would you not want to do it now? Why would you not at least want to try something different? And we're getting signals that they're not going to try something all that different which leads me to wonder about one specific defensive coordinator candidate who we'll get to you here in a second. So who do you hire? I think when, you, when you're when you looking at a defensive coordinator search, there's really two ways that you can go about it. You can look at trees or you can look at traits. When you're looking at coaching trees, you're basically looking at defensive philosophy, someone who has a schematic approach that you like, and you try to either get that person specifically or someone who knows their system. The traits method is putting attributes of executing a defense ahead of the scheme itself. So think about like how aggressive you are as a defensive coordinator, regardless of what you're calling, how you use your personnel within a scheme, what coverages you call and when. Because the coverages, the fronts, the things like that are all going to essentially migrate pretty well. You know, that the difference between things like a 3-4 and a 4-3 have all but disappeared at this point. There are some minor issues, some minor approach-related things. When you're talking about the base scheme, there's less of a distinction now than there used to be. The scheme does still matter, but the way that you execute that scheme is very different. Just look at the different guys that run the quote-unquote quote Fangio scheme. Just this year, uh, Joe Barry was doing a lot of cover three type stuff, that's not really a, a Vic Fangio staple. He likes to run quarters or cover six type stuff, uh, pattern matching zones and things like that. That really wasn't what Joe Barry was doing here. But Matt LaFleur going with that coaching tree method ended up with someone he thought could run a Vic Fangio style defense. 
and for a lot of different reasons that different that didn't work. I think it's also worth wondering if there is such thing as running a so-and-so style defense when you don't have so-and-so style players. We have long made the case on this podcast that defense is much more personnel driven than even offense because there's because it's reactive. You need players that are capable of reacting and thinking on their own. You can't really scheme up plays in the same way on defense that you can on offense. It just doesn't quite work that way because you're always reacting to what the offense wants to do. Personally, if I was making this decision, I would want, I think in this case, trend more towards a traits method, someone who can execute and adapt to what the Packers have already. In addition, I would also want to avoid coaching retreads, long-term coaches who have already failed elsewhere, that is. Uh, Maybe a guy who's probably generally young, let's say 45 or younger. Uh, Maybe if you're just looking for uh, a schematic or tree-style approach, look more at an organization than somebody who's worked with a specific superstar coach. Think a a stable organization that values talent or or, um, is able to develop talent rather than a, a, a team that's just turning over all the time. Think about difference, say, between the the Baltimore Ravens and, I don't know, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. It seems like they're doing a new top-down approach every other year in Jacksonville, but the Baltimore Ravens are pretty much the same year in and year out. The personnel, the head coach, the way that they do things, the way the whole ship operates there is basically the same deal all the time. So if you're looking for stability, for someone who's grown, for someone who is looking for a new opportunity, looking somewhere like that is is a real possibility. So who are some names? We've got to talk names, and we'll eventually start getting some some interview information here. But rather than hunt down a bunch of people on my own, and I've, I have done that, I've got a couple names uh, for my own research for you, I think there's two really good lists that I've been able to find out there. The first comes from Justice Mosqueda of Agni Packing Company, who went with the really, and tongue pressed firmly in cheek here, and I think Justice would understand here, went with the really novel approach of just looking at guys who Matt LaFleur interviewed last time. Boy, I mean, if you're looking for guys that Matt LaFleur might like, how about the guys that he was considering, at least in part, for the, <laughs> the defensive coordinator job the last time it was open? That seems to make sense to me. So let's look at a few of those guys. First is Ajiro Evero, the current Panthers defensive coordinator. The pitch here that this is probably your best Fangio tree option. You want somebody who runs a Vic Fangio-style defense. This is it for all the reasons that we talked about back in 2021. He's got experience under Brandon Staley, who, who ran Fangio's defense for Vic Fangio himself. He's got some Packers connections, too, was a quality control here, coach here a few years ago. He's still fairly young, just 43. He's an up-and-comer. He's been a riser on three different staffs now. You don't like maybe that the Panthers wasn't so great. Uh, Panthers' defense, rather, wasn't so great this past year. But so what? Nothing was good in Carolina last year and probably for the foreseeable future. I also don't love that this would be his third defensive coordinator gig in three years, but sometimes that's just way, the way things break in the NFL, so that's not a big knock against him either. Next on his list is Ryan Nielsen, who is the Jaguars defensive coordinator now, also previously interviewed with the Packers. Nielsen has strong ties to Dennis Allen of the New Orleans Saints. They're now head coach and former defensive coordinator. 
a former defensive lineman, played collegiately, big guy. Uh, I like the defensive line mindset that he would bring. I think we've tried linebackers guys and guys that are more defensive back focused. Maybe try somebody who has a, a strong defensive line background. Uh, I don't like that the he too would be on his third defensive coordinator gig in three years. He hasn't really had a chance to build anything anywhere. So you're really just hiring on vibes and how well he can pitch himself than any kind of proven success. That's kind of the deal with Evero too. Again, not a huge knock against him, but something I think that is worth mentioning. Matt Burke is up next, the Texas defense, Texans defensive coordinator. He's got pretty broad experience, has worked for eight different franchises in his NFL career, and I kind of like that organizational versatility a little bit too. He also has some interesting experience as a game management coach uh, from his time with the New York Jets. So this would be somebody in charge of like managing the situational aspects of the game, reminding the coach, okay, here's your timeout situation. Here's a time you may want to challenge. Here's how you should be managing your time, stuff like that. I like that as a replacement for Joe Barry, just because of how often it looked like the defensive play calls didn't match the game situation particularly well. If you've got a guy whose specific job was doing that in the past, maybe you can avoid that sort of thing. The biggest and probably most familiar name on this list is next up Jim Leonard, who is currently a senior football analyst at the University of Illinois. The pitch here is that he was Rex Ryan's coach on the field during his time as a player. He is consistently mentioned as one of the best defensive innovators working in the game today. If you're looking for a good reputation, his is about as good as it gets among the football knowers that I know and have talked to. Cody Alexander had great things to say about him when we interviewed him back in 2021. He just has the the attention of everybody who really dives deep into this kind of stuff. Reportedly, he has already said no to the Packers once, but the circumstances in his coaching life have changed dramatically since then, and the circumstances for the Packers have changed as well. Perhaps second time could be the charm now that his hometown team comes calling again, well, for a second time. Then you've also got Chris Harris, the current Titans pass game coordinator. The Titans going through a bunch of defensive turnover right now. The pitch on Harris is that he's a well-regarded assistant who brings the approach of a former player who was an all-pro defensive back back in 2010, played for the Bears, Panthers, Lions, and Jaguars during a long NFL career. Uh, just based on the franchises that he played for, I'd say that he has some sort of predatory animal background, but that is just a little bit of, well, uh, that's how the mascots lined up. I, I like that he's had pretty linear development. You see the growth here. It, it's kind of a, a little bit like Matt LaFleur. LaFleur goes from uh, quarterback's coach, well, even back further, uh, a quality control coach, gets some college reps as a quarterback's coach, uh, comes up to the NFL as a quarterback's coach, uh, becomes a non-play-calling offensive coordinator, gets a play-calling gig, then becomes a head coach. Harris kind of has that similar sort of trajectory here. He started out as a quality control coach, then was a defensive backs coach, now would be stepping up to defensive coordinator. The The knock on all these Titans guys, and we'll talk about a couple other names from the Titans staff, is that their defense has just been okay during their time that he was there. It's not all their fault. It's not all Mike Vrabel's fault. He's now been dismissed from the Titans. But, um, man, the results were not great there in Tennessee despite some some pretty solid players at times. Jerry Gray also got an interview the last time we did all this. You'll remember his name from his time in Green Bay as the Packers defensive backs or overall secondary coach. 
he is also a former defensive coordinator, has had some time coordinating an entire defense, and had success in Green Bay before as well. I would like that existing relationship with the defense. So you know that he has a, a close tie with Jair Alexander, who had some of his best years under under Jerry Gray. The other guys in the building would know who he is. That seems like a built-in connection. He's just been okay as a defensive coordinator, though. Some some of his Titans defenses were pretty good back when he was the coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. He's also had some stinkers in there, too. You also have to wonder if there's some sour grapes on his end of this. Uh, was he just a token interview in 2021? You would hope not. A, a guy like him with his his um, past experience, you hope that the Packers weren't just checking a box there or trying to fill a quota. But he left the, the defensive staff in Green Bay of his own accord after getting passed over for that job, not immediately after, but a, a season after. He wondered, would he come back even if he, if he was interviewed or offered the job? Rounding out here, a couple more names as the Packers, uh, as we look to their previous list, then we'll buzz through another longer list here. Chris, Kiffin's, Chris Kiffin excuse me, is the current linebackers coach for the uh, Houston Texans, uh, another long-term successful assistant with ties to at least one very good former coach. Uh, Monty Kiffin is his dad, which is great, one of the architects of the Tampa 2, another guy who, who ran a great defense but also had some pretty darn good players there too with Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and Rondé Barber and John Lynch, I mean, the four Hall of Famers there. You'd hope the defense would be pretty good. Uh, Lane Kiffin, of course, is his brother as well, not as great as his dad, but still um, a longtime successful NFL coach. If the genes hold, you would think that Chris Kiffin would be able to do something. He's been a part of some successful defenses, was, was with the 49ers in 2018 and 19, with the Browns from 2020 through 2022, and then with the Texans this past year as they kind of had their one-season turnaround under D'Amico Ryan. However, I would also point out that if we're trying to avoid the, the nepotism rap, hiring Monty Kiffin's son is probably not going to be the way to do it, even if Joe Barry did have some connections to that tree as well. But what tree does Barry not have connections to? Finally, back in 2021, I'd forgotten about this name, uh, but Matt LaFleur interviewed former NFL defensive coordinator Bob Sutton. Currently, uh, well, previously was working as a, a sort of defensive consultant for a couple teams in the NFL he most recently was the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs from 2013 to 2018. Was some real ugly stuff down the stretch for him. Uh, you know, a lot of accusations of losing the locker room, not really uh, calling the right things at the right time. Uh, it sounds awfully familiar, just put it that way. Still well regarded, though, but he is 72 years old, so you think probably not looking to be the coach that you want to hire as this young team is really starting to to ascend and come together. Not saying that a 72-year-old couldn't connect with guys that are literally 50 years younger than him in some cases, but maybe just stacking the deck a little bit too far against Mr. Sutton to try to ask him to do that. That does it for the guys that the Packers have talked to previously, specifically that Matt LaFleur had talked to previously. The Green Bay Press-Gazette, or PackersNews.com, also has a bunch of names that they've listed. Uh, we'll just throw out a couple of them here and, and um, maybe some reactions there. I've also got a couple names that I think we should at least consider here. Uh, Ron Rivera is at the top of the Packers news list, most recently the, the head coach of the Washington Commanders. Why would he even want to be a defensive coordinator at this point in his career? You've got Wink Martindale out there, the recent defensive coordinator for the New York Giants. He left the Giants apparently because of some differences with the head coach. Not sure that's something 
you really want to start with. Leslie Frazier is kicking around out there, most recently the Buffalo defensive coordinator, a former head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. I would at least be interested in what he's got to say. He's coordinated some successful defenses and has a lot of experience at the NFL level. Um, he'd be like Joe Barry if Joe Barry had had some NFL success, which he had not. Uh, but Frazier at least has put together some good defenses during his time in the NFL. Denard Wilson uh, comes up on the uh, PackersNews.com list, probably my favorite new candidate. We mentioned him back last offseason, episode 606 of Blue 58, if you want to go back and check that one. But he's got a really interesting background. So Wilson's a former player, played in college, had a cup of coffee in the NFL at the practice squad level, also has a scouting background, which is something you don't see all that often in coaches, but was a scout for the Chicago Bears from 2008 through 2011 before he got into coaching. He's similar to Chris Harris, has very linear experience, started as a quality control guy, then just up and up and up the ranks now as a defensive backs coach uh, for the Ravens. Seems like making the jump to defensive coordinator is in the cards for him at some point. Maybe now is the time. Terrell Williams also came up on the Press Gazette list. He is the Tennessee Titans assistant head coach and also their defensive line coach. He's a career defensive line coach. That's really all he's done at the NFL level in addition to adding assistant head coach duties recently with the Titans. His recent success is the best and brightest thing about him. The list goes on. A couple other names we'll pick out. Some of them I think are a real stretch. But just for the the sake of mentioning them for their previous Packers connection, I'll draw your attention to Marquand Manuel and Al Harris, both former Packers defensive backs. Uh, Manuel was with the Packers in 2006 under defensive coordinator Bob Sanders, then got his start in coaching in Seattle during the Legion of Boom era, and then has ascended across the league from there. Al Harris is the Cowboys secondary coach, reportedly one of the odds-on favorites to replace Dan Quinn in Dallas if he leaves to become a head coach somewhere. Uh, Of course, another former Packer there. There are a couple other names that I think are worth mentioning here, just because I wanted to to add in a little original research here too. This is not so much research as it is speculation, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't at least mention Brandon Staley's name. Uh, There are some really negative reports about his time out there with the Los Angeles Chargers. But if you're talking Fangio tree stuff, he is one of the guys out there that has some pretty significant Fangio ties. But I think he might be a little bit like defensive Matt Nagy. So Matt Nagy has been the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator in a couple different capacities now. And then when he left to coach the Bears, just could not bring the magic with him at all from Andy Reid. Staley kind of strikes me the same way, given his Fangio ties, longtime Fangio assistant, Short-time defensive coordinator before he got the head job with the Chargers. However, we should note that Joe Barry did work underneath him. And if you're looking for a situation where you might be able to retain Joe Barry under another defensive coordinator that runs a similar scheme, I mean, Staley's it. There are connections there to both Barry and LaFleur. I think if you ignore Staley, it's at your own peril. Like It's got to be at least in the conversation. His name's going to come up at some point. I'd also throw out Brandon Lynch uh, of the Cleveland Browns, their cornerbacks coach. He, kind of like um, Denard Wilson and Chris Harris, is a longtime successful defensive backs coach. 
it seems like a good enough candidate. I just kind of want to throw his name out there because I'm surprised that we haven't seen the Browns get really any mentions uh, given how solid their defense was this year and have been for a bit. They've had solid enough defenses, even if they can't get anything figured out on offense, no matter what they do, though I'm not going to ever root for Deshaun Watson to really figure things out for them. Uh, you made that bed. You get to lie in it. Um, good luck with that, Cleveland Browns. Hopefully your defense can continue to be good. And then, just because, again, I haven't really seen anybody talk about it, I think you've got to at least throw out the name Mike Zimmer. Uh, you know, I know he's prickly and, and rude sometimes and um, just a crotchety old dude, but I think that's kind of an ideal mindset for a defensive coordinator. And boy, was he successful in the NFL for a long time calling defenses. Uh, really the point is if the, the Press Gazette or the or PackersNews.com is going to sit here and trot out Ron Rivera, why would we not at least want to mention Mike Zimmer given what he's done at the NFL level? Those are the names. Uh, there's more. You can read them at PackersNews.com, dig into guys that we didn't mention super in-depth here. But I think we'll we'll go deeper in-depth on this stuff as the Packers start having interviews and stuff like that. Look, it's it's going to be an interesting process, and it's going to go quickly. The last time we went through this, Mike Petten, the Mike Pettin news came down on January 29th. The Packers had a new defensive coordinator in Joe Barry on February 8th. So sometime in the next, well, week to 10 days on the, the long end, we're going to have a new defensive coordinator here, and we'll be able to dig into the, the background there a little bit more in depth. Packers have also made at least one other move to try to figure out some of their their wrongs from 2023. They signed a new kicker, uh, former Georgia man Jack Podlesny, a career 82.4% kicker, just made 56.5% of his kicks from 40 or more yards in his college career, though. For comparison, Anders Carlson made just 53.8% of his kicks from 40-plus this season. So... Not a huge upgrade there, uh, but at least some early competition and I think sending the message here that things are going to, uh, they can't be just static throughout the entire offseason. Anders Carlson is going to face some competition and that's that's how things are going to be. The idea for this episode was to spend a good chunk of it talking about Brian Gutekunst. We've started our postseason kind of overview of everybody in the organization. And I thought today would be a good time to talk about Brian Gutekunst. And Gutekunst has had a really good year. 2023 was a great year for Brian Gutekunst. I know this is a, a an abrupt turn from defensive coordinator talk, but roster construction stuff is one of my favorite things to talk about on this podcast. And building a roster, Gutekunst had a really good year about as good of a calendar year from January 1st to December 31st as I think you could hope for from a general manager's position. Uh, there's really, I think, three three areas that you have to look at when you're looking at a, a GM's year. Free agent departures. Is there anybody who left that you wish you would have kept? Free agent signings. Were there anyone, any guys that you missed out on that you really could have invested in or were the guys that you did sign uh, any good at all. And then your draft class. You could also throw in some in-season moves and stuff like that, but really the draft class and the guys that follow undrafted free agents, along with your free agent signings in and out, 
or about it. Looking at Brian Gutekunst's 2023, I think he gets a, a pretty good grade in all three of those areas. I'm not going to put a letter on it, A to F, but pretty solid grades just about everywhere. Free agent departures. Just going to throw some names at you. Tell me which one of these you would have kept. Alan Lazard, Jaron Reed, Dean Lowry, Randall Cobb. See anybody yet? I haven't. Robert Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis, Adrian Amos, Mason Crosby. Maybe Mercedes Lewis. Maybe at times this year, Mason Crosby. But as far as the guys that are not with the Packers anymore that were in 2022... I'm pretty much good here. I'm all set. Free agent signings. Any obvious misses? I think you could make a case that the Packers maybe should have invested a little bit more at wide receiver or at least tried a little harder at safety. The wide receiver market was pretty thin last spring in terms of, I mean, Alan Lazard was the biggest free agent contract at receiver last year, and we all saw how that turned out for the New York Jets. The mid to low tier receiver market was pretty sparse, and the Packers did not have a lot of money to burn. Same kind of thing goes at safety, where the Packers at least did try to sign two guys, although the guys they signed were not going to fix their defense. Two of their notable outside free agent signings this year were Jonathan Owens and Tarvarius Moore. Have you thought about Tarvarius Moore lately? Probably not. Allow me to reintroduce him to your consciousness. But Owens came over from the the Houston Texans where he had started every game last year and led them in tackles. I think the expectations there were fairly low. Uh, And Tarverius Moore came from the the 49ers, um, kind of a a hybrid uh, defensive back, special team sort of guy. He got injured in training camp, didn't really ever do much for the Packers. So you're left basically with with Owens as your free agent acquisition. And... um, and then Matthew Orzik, the other outside free agent signing at Long Snapper. There are people who I trust about this stuff that have said that Orzik was a problem this year. I have not looked at that that closely, but I don't think their opinions can be ignored. Wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if we saw some movement at Long Snapper this offseason. Packers also retained a couple guys, Rudy Ford, uh, Keyshawn Nixon. I, no problems there. I don't think there are any issues there. If you look, if you really want to dig deep and say maybe they shouldn't have tendered Yash Nyman quite how they did, I guess, but I think given how he performed last year, I probably would have done the same move. I think just having that that guy that you trust, if nothing else, as your swing backup tackle is is worth having. Maybe not at $4.5 million for how Nyman played this year, but it, it feels like it's at least worth a shot. And it'll be interesting to see what Nyman gets on the open market this spring considering what he probably could have made if he had been a free agent hitting after 2021 or 2022. Now, the draft class, if I had to put a single word on it, it would be wow, because that's really all there is to it. We've had issues with Brian Gutekunst's draft classes in the past, and we'll talk about that here in a second. There should be no issues with the 2023 class, because he crushed it. You don't even have to go pick by pick. But uh, Lucas Van Ness, Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft, Dontavian Wicks, Carl Brooks, even a guy like Anthony Johnson Jr., Dontavian Wicks, that I already mentioned him. Um, but a solid, solid group of players, and some of them look really, really good, especially the Packers' top four picks in the 2023 draft. Man, 
it just an incredible an incredible collection of talent and most of it fueled by two trades. We haven't even mentioned Aaron Rodgers departing from Green Bay last year, but look at how two trades by Brian Gutekunst shaped the Packers 2023 uh, roster building. So the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers as well as the 50th and 170th picks in this past spring's draft, in the 2023 draft, to the Jets, and they get 13, 42, and 207. So 13 becomes Lucas Van Ness, 42 becomes Luke Musgrave, and 207 becomes Anders Carlson. The Packers originally held pick number 45, their own second-round pick, but when pick time comes around, the Detroit Lions say, hold on a second, we would like to move up in this draft. And they swap uh, 48 for 45, giving the Packers 48, as well as pick number 159. So to move from 48 to 45, the Lions give the Packers uh, 48 and 159. 48, the Packers trade to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Keep that in mind here for a second. But with pick number 159, they ended up using it on Duntavian Wicks. The Packers, like I said, traded the 48th pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the 50th pick, as well as the 179th pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. With 50, they get Jaden Reed. With 179, they get Carl Brooks. So they turn pick number 45 into Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, and Carl Brooks. On top of that, they had already turned Aaron Rodgers into Lucas Van Ness, Luke Musgrave, and Anders Carlson. So those are six guys, even if you don't like Carlson, the Packers got six guys who played major roles on the 2023 team just with those two trades, just with the capital acquired with those two trades. That is crazy. That's executive of the year type stuff just from those two moves. First getting the moves done and then getting that kind of return on those guys. Even if you take the Carlson pick out of it, you've got Lucas Van Ness, who looks like a starting caliber edge going forward. Luke Musgrave, a starting caliber tight end. Uh, Dontavian Wicks, a starting caliber wide receiver, or at least a very good rotational receiver. Jaden Reed, uh, a starting caliber receiver. And Carl Brooks, a solid rotational defensive lineman on day three. That's pretty darn good. The final piece I think you have to look at for Brian Gutekunst is some of the long-term stuff. In 2020, the 2020 draft class in particular, I think is the easiest place to look at for some of his, um, some longer term stuff. And this is where I got to eat a little bit of crow, but also put a little bit of context to something that I said a few years ago now. So my one word reaction to a certain draft pick in the 2020 draft class in the time that it happened was indefensible. I tweeted that about the time the Packers picked Jordan Love in 2020. I'm no longer on Twitter. I just use it to send out links. If you want to shout at me on Twitter, I don't care. Um, but I, I don't want to make a practice of just monitoring Twitter extensively anymore. Um, and partly, I want to be protected from in-the-moment reactions to stuff, too, because I do enough of putting my foot in my mouth on this podcast, too. But that weekend, too, my more considered reaction to the Love selection was that it could only really be a success if Love turned out to be a high-level long-term starter because of what you're giving up in taking him by having him sit for so long. You're, you have the opportunity cost of not adding talent in the short term. Uh, you have the, the free, or not the free, the cheap rookie contract window that basically goes away, and it's going to go away here for the Packers when they 
have to sign him to an extension this offseason. Um, and the, just the again, the fact that almost anybody else would have been more useful in the short term. So hold that thought for a second. What is the standard for success for Jordan Love? He's really got to be a solid long-term starter. We'll return to that. The guy that, just to put my cards on the table, that a guy that I would have picked in 2020 would have been Michael Pittman at 30. I wouldn't have traded up because I also liked Legarius Sneed, who also happened to be on the board at 136, the pick the Packers used to move up to select Jordan Love. Look, uh, not saying that anything would have been different, but do you think the Packers could have used another wide receiver and another defensive back in the 2020 NFC Championship game? Legereus Sneed was one of the top-graded defensive backs in the NFL as a rookie and was the top, I believe, pro football-focused-graded rookie defensive back in the NFL that year. It wouldn't have been Kevin, Kevin King covering Mike Evans and Scotty Miller in the NFC Championship game. It wouldn't have been um, just Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard and a beat-up Randall Cobb on the field in the 2021 playoffs. I'm not saying it gets them over the hump, but do you think they could have used those guys? I also don't think it's too strong of a criticism and using the 2020 draft as, as kind of a leverage point here, but I don't think it's too strong or too inaccurate to say that Brian Gutekunst completely failed to add any significant offensive talent around Aaron Rodgers that would have helped in the late Rodgers window. 2020, 2021, 2019, there was not an up-and-coming young offensive player that would have helped the Packers on the roster. There just was no talent infusion on offense. And you can anticipate some of the, the criticism or pushback here. Oh, well, Aaron Rodgers didn't want to throw to young players anyway or didn't want to want to throw to young pass catchers anyway. First of all, that's not true. Uh, the numbers do not bear that out historically. Uh, Aaron Rodgers may be hard on rookie receivers, but when they're good, he throws to them. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a successful rookie year in 2018. Equinemius St. Brown was good that year as well. Devontae Adams had respectable stats as a rookie considering how um, how stacked that receiver room was. The, the bare fact is that the Packers just simply did not add much good young talent on offense during the late Rodgers era. If you want to say he was hard on young receivers, that's fine. But let's talk about who those young receivers were when we talk about the criticism of, of young, uh, of, of GM Aaron Rodgers. Uh, people like to scoff and say, ah, well, he didn't know what he was talking about. You know, he was, he was hard on these young guys. Well, you know, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about in terms of personnel and stuff like that. Well, just let's look at the young receivers that he would have been hard on. Let's, let's talk about the kind of guys that he was griping about and didn't want to work with. 2015, the Packers add Ty Montgomery and Kennard Backman. 2016, they add Trevor Davis. 2017, they add D'Angelo Yancey and Malachi Dupree. 2018, they add MVS and Equinemia St. Brown, to be sure. Pretty solid players in their own right, but also Jamon Moore. 2019, they add Jay Sternberger. 2020, no pass catchers. And 2021, uh, you've got <laughs> Amari Rogers. So just look at that list there. Jake, uh, Josiah DeGuara in 2020. There's a pass catcher for you that year. Look at that list. 
Aaron Rodgers was right to be upset with those guys. You want to talk about GM Aaron Rodgers? Well, he was right on every one of the pass catchers that the Packers drafted. He did not want to waste time on them, and he was right to not waste time on them because not a single one of them has gone on to thrive anywhere else in the NFL. He was correct on all of them. So just the the fact that he did not want to work with those guys is not a strike against Aaron Rodgers. Gutekunst did not add talent around him. But, but, even if he didn't add talent around him, they have threaded the needle with love. He has walked the very narrow path toward making that draft pick a success. He had time to sit, but he pretty much had to be good from the get-go. And even in the first half when it looked pretty bad, the second half looked good enough that it pretty much erases anything that he did in that first half to a pretty significant degree. The needle has been threaded. And for whatever worries there would have been about a decision and the money that the Packers have coming down the pike that they need to pay Jordan Love, it's fine. It doesn't matter. I'm reminded when it, when it comes to making a decision on a quarterback of a, of a military strategy quote, uh, quote, not coach, quote, from the late 19th century. So post-Civil War in military history, there's a, a lot of military innovation that goes on around the world um, in a variety of different capacities, you know, battleships, ironside ships, uh, different rifle technologies. But one of the things that really takes off is early machine guns. And one of those early machine guns was a, a great thing called the Maxim gun, uh, named for a guy, I believe his last name was Maxim. And I think it was a, a British military officer that said something along the lines of, um, whatever happens, we have to remember that we have the Maxim gun and they have not. Basically, we've got this technology that they cannot overcome. No matter what else we're facing, no matter what else is going on, we can fire more bullets more quickly than they can, and that's going to be the edge for us. That is, what it, that is the decision at quarterback. You either have one or you do not. And when you have one and you're facing guys that do not, facing teams that do not, it is an incalculable advantage. How many games did the Packers win over the years? Whether or not, I mean, the rest of the, the teams may have been completely uneven. The other team may have been better or at least equal to the Packers in every area but quarterback. But then you have Aaron Rodgers, who is a, a supercomputer with a, a God-tier right arm. I, just think of some of the down years in the Rodgers era uh, 2012 comes to mind, 2013, 2015. The teams weren't super great, but you've got Aaron Rodgers back there doing Aaron Rodgers things, and that becomes more than a great equalizer. It's something that puts you out ahead. Same sort of thing happens with Brett Favre. Uh, teams were still scared of Brett Favre, even if the Packers weren't very good, because Brett Favre was the equalizer there. And if you think you have that guy, and that's what the Packers think they have in Jordan Love, the price tag doesn't matter because it overcomes so much else. It's true that outside of love, 2020 looks pretty rough. You've got Dylan, you've got DeGuara, you've got running, and that's basically it. And the upside on all of those guys is maybe solid starter. Dylan and occasionally solid rotational back. Josiah DeGuara did not become what they hoped he would become, and John Runyon has had his up and ups and downs. That happens. But if you got Jordan Love, 
2020 turns out to be a success, even with the qualifier that Gutekunst did fail to add anything of substance around Aaron Rodgers in the late Rodgers era. You're in a title window, and the Packers didn't do anything to help really open that window further when they had Aaron Rodgers playing at an MVP level. And it is a little bit frustrating to me, and this is not a like pro-Aaron Rodgers thing or an anti-Jordan Love thing, but we talked about for essentially the entire life of this podcast um, about how the Packers needed to be more aggressive adding offensive talent. And they just never did, and they never did, and they never did. And then as Aaron Rodgers is going out the door, they add Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, both of whom were, were pretty up and down as rookies. And then they, they spend big the very next offseason. And look at how the offense takes off once those guys get their feet under him. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, your offense is, comes together when you add a bunch of talented offensive players. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah, the quarterback needs support, even if he's really, really good. Jordan Love started looking a lot better once the receivers started looking better, and vice versa. But it it was just like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is what we've been saying all along. You just need to add talent here. But they've done it now. They've done what we hoped they would do. Jordan Love threaded that needle, or let's, let's put it this way, appears to have threaded that needle. We can't I'm trying not to say anything for sure on this podcast anymore. We'll say appears. I feel like I've been burned one too many times by Jordan, or not Jordan Love, by Aaron uh, Aaron Jones continuing to be great well into his later 30s. Um, but Jordan Love appears to be the guy that they hoped he could be. Now comes the hard part, is continuing to be that guy and growing. But they've put all the pieces in place. Brian Gutekunst swung for the fences, put Jordan Love in a time capsule, and came out the other side with a guy that can be their long-term starter. They've put good guys around him with a monumental 2023 draft class. It's hard to give Brian Gutekunst anything but stellar grades for 2023. And if he has 80% of the offseason that he had last offseason, the Packers are going to be in really good shape this fall. I feel really encouraged about that, and I feel, feel pretty good about the team that Brian Gutekunst has has put together, I will say this. Sometimes putting together a good team comes down to luck or love or having the opportunity to take a little bit of love in your draft class because you didn't get the chance to do something the year prior. Remember back to the 2019 NFL draft? Sourced reporting indicates that the Packers would have taken Drew Locke had the Denver Broncos not taken him which means that the Packers would have neither Elton Jenkins or Jordan Love at this particular opportunity or at this particular moment. Sometimes it's the move that you don't or can't make that really saves you. Not taking anything away from Brian Gutekunst, but sometimes people end up saving you from yourself and you just have to thank your lucky stars and God in heaven that you didn't go down that path because can only imagine where the Packers would be right now if that's how they had ended up. But they didn't, and this is where they are right now. Nothing but excitement for them in the future. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58, and i got a lot for you in this episode of Blue 58. Enjoy an extra long episode. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it that's going to help more people find the show. 
and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.